Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I am your host, Jesse Single, coming at you from a pretty cold but sunny Brooklyn, uh, whatever day this is, nobody knows. I think it's a Saturday. Um, we, I'm going to be starting ramping up the number of guests I do. So on Monday, uh, first, I'm going on – I think I have the timing right, but I'll, I'll, I'll post it. I think at 5.30 p.m., I'm going on Ben Burgess's show just to hang out and talk to him. Then at 6.30 Eastern, I'm going to have on Keith Humphreys. Uh, he's a great guy and a Stanford professor who's an expert at addiction. He was responsible for a new and important um, report on the opioid epidemic. So you can basically ask him any question you want about that. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff on mental health in general. I think it should be an interesting talk, and I do want to move more in the direction of having experts on here and then mixing those shows in with shows like this where I just talk and take your questions about whatever. So there'll be more of that. Um, the one thing I just – this is totally random, but the one thing I want to talk about for one minute is the simulation hypothesis. I just did a paid newsletter arguing that we should want to be in a simulation. Um, if it, I think – a lot of you will probably have heard of this. There was basically a 2003 paper by a philosopher named Nick Bostrom that uh, showed that under a lot of reasonable assumptions, it like you could actually – it sounds weird, but you can make a strong case for living in a simulation. Basically, if it turns out you can simulate worlds and minds, uh, which there's a lot of reason to think we could do if we had more computing power – you quickly get to a point where there are more simulated than unsimulated binds. You could think of that like if on your desktop computer you ran a simulation with a bunch of folks uh, in The Sims or whatever, if those folks could have consciousness in a more advanced version of The Sims, you could get more of them than you have humans on Earth. Anyway, I did a newsletter about this, and folks were basically saying that this is just like religion for tech bros, and I think it is in certain senses, but I'm very interested in that divide of like, why I don't think this is religious thinking. I mean, from where I sit, all the steps in my logical chain of why I think we might be living in a simulation are based on reasonable assumptions or claims about the universe, about computing technology, about um, this thing called substrate independence, which is just the idea that you could have consciousness even – consciousness could flow out of basically a lot of different materials, not just our so-called wetware. So – it's interesting to me that I might have been caught, gotten sucked into another form of religious thinking because I'm very much not into religious thinking. And I, I think there are like pretty key differences between just being like, yeah, there's a God and he's perfect and he's benevolent and he's omnipotent uh, and we believe in him, which I don't view as a scientific belief versus saying we could be in a simulation if X and Y and Z are true and I assign 60% probability to that, which strikes me as like a more scientific way of getting at – these pretty deep questions about like why we're here and why we exist and what the point of everything is. Um, I don't know. It doesn't strike me as religious, but I can see how it like tickles the same part of your brain. And I will say like, no, Oh, you should also get in the queue. If you have any questions about anything, cause I'm a new, um, my spiel is going to be over soon. I'm, I'm underprepared. Uh, no matter how much like simulation talk you get into, there's always that question of like where the top level universe came from. And, and I think that's basically, you can't really answer that. Like that's always going to be a mystery. And I think that's what drives people with certain kinds of broken brains like me crazy. And with that, Aaron, what is up? Aaron, you got to uh, unmute yourself, my friend. Hey, it's my first time on this thing. Welcome. Hey, um, yeah, now the whole um, idea about simulation hypothesis, 
So why do you think it's more um, it's better to be in a simulation? Oh yeah, I didn't even lay out my thing. Um, basic, my basic argument is that if we're in a simulation, then we can. That doesn't mean that there's life after death, but you would have like a very straightforward reason why there could be life after death, which is basically there's no reason there couldn't be uh, in a simulation. Whereas I think the probability of that, if we're in like a top level universe is pretty slim. That's the big one. The other one is like, and again, this is, there's no way to know how possible this is, but in theory we could like make contact with the folks simulating us and make demands of them to like make our conditions better or fairer or to, to make an argument to them that we deserve to like have a better world or whatever. This is very pie in the sky, but to me, and in my post, I pointed out that a lot of these, this reasoning does not apply if you're a religious person and already think there's like a benevolent God out there. But if you don't, that just seems like a better situation to be in than to just be in sort of a cold, dark, random universe. Okay. So lack of randomness. That's good. Um, yeah. All right. I think that's it. That's it. I'm on the phone, so. <laughs> no, welcome. Hope you'll uh, come back. They're not yeah. usually as weird as this. I promise. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, Gabby, what's up? Hey, hey, Jesse. I got a question for you, uh, and it fits with your intro regarding, in a a way, in a deep way, your your piece, which was very interesting on um, if we're in a simulation. This is my matrix, and I I would feel that if I was in a simulation, I'd have more hot chicks around me. Mm -hmm. But um, besides that, uh, what do you think about rationality as a kind of religion? Since you mentioned it just now, let me put it this way. Um, Chewy just kicked me off of the <laughs> subreddit for Locked and Reported for asking the same question. I'll ask it to you directly since I can't discuss it with my comrades there. Um, do you not believe, as I do, that the professional managerial class, the PMC, is composed of people who went to the right schools and they learned so much that they think they have a superior rationality superior rationality that entitles them and mandates them to impose what they call policy prescriptions on the rest of us regarding essentially political and moral issues that we actually have to decide in some sense for ourselves. Issues of health care and family policy, war and peace, terrorism, do not actually have this technical solutions that the smartest, most reasonable people who dismiss the cancel culture on the one hand and then the uh, right-wing extremists on the other, you know, finally come up with in their open-minded rationality. That's actually a kind of delusional religious belief. Am I not right about that? Sorry, what's a delusional religious belief? That you can be so smart, much smarter, more rational, more knowledgeable about essentially problems of human nature that are not going away anytime soon, uh, like uh, conflict, war and peace, terrorism, um, 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 family policy, how should we run our families? Um, you know, Truckers don't want to get vaccinated. You, you go vaccinate them because you're the smart ones. Um, make them get vaccinated. Or, or explain to us you know, very clearly why that's the wrong uh, view, I guess, could be another way to go at it. But I what mean, I'm trying to say, that's I just a thing. That's just a, but that's a general, it's like just, any policy prescriptions is a very strange term. It sounds technocratic to me. Whenever I hear that word, I reach for my gun. As some, why, why should there, why, why should there be an elite class of technocrats who think the solution to value 
based decisions of how we want to live our lives should be done by technocrats. I mean, but but the, I think you're just describing something certain zealous politicians have always done. I mean, I, I came up with people insisting we needed a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. That's a pretty intense type of social engineering, as are, you know, campaigns to ban pornography. It's, it's just what policy prescriptions the left versus the right care about. I do think there's a risk of, like, um, there is a type of person who thinks that we can sort of social engineer our way out of complicated problems and that they know exactly how to do so. I'm in favor of policy that will improve the world. Uh, I'm not in favor of doing it in like a super heavy handed or hubristic way. But I just nice. I think what you're describing is just like politicians and policymakers. They're they're doing what they're doing because they want power and because they want to improve the world. They just have a lot of different beliefs about how to do so. Yeah, like that. That'll prick Justin Trudeau. Do you despise him as much as I do? Or? I, I do not, but I don't uh, follow Canadian politics <laughs> as much. All right, la- I got to let you go because I got to run to listen to a, a much uh, better call in program. Um, Enjoy. With an, even ta- an even taller podcaster. No, I'm just um. kidding. You're the tallest <laughs> and the best. I would just beg you to please get Chewy to let me back. All I did was. I don't. I don't. I can't. I just. Sorry. I. I. I don't know how the subreddit works. We have nothing to do with it. Have a good day, man. All right. right. What's up, Shada? Hey. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Okay. So, token normie mom here. I always need to preface that. So my intellect level take it down about two notches. Um, (laughs) and I am behind in reading, but. To go to the article you reference, I'll have to go back and read it. But I'm curious, the idea of simulation, um, how you address community in that. Because I see simulation as a uh, theoretical isolated experience, right? Um, but how do you, you know, part of religious thing is not just the, the idea of a god or monotheistic the other element is also living in community with other people. Oh, yeah. I, no, I mean, I, I think the argument, I think it was the people who were saying this to me were using religion, religious as like a derogatory um, description of my belief, like that it's something, <clears throat> either you have faith that we're in a simulation or you don't, or you think we have an X percent chance you don't, but it's not really scientific. You can't really prove it one way or another. Um which is true in certain regards. I, I don't think anyone's saying that belief in simulation, you're right, that a lot of like church is your fellow churchgoers and the community that builds. And, and my sense is a lot of religious communities are much more about that than about religious uh, beliefs per se. So I definitely don't think belief in a simulation uh, could ever replace any of that, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I, re- I was just curious because I'm not, I'm certainly not poo-pooing the idea of, of- something better in simulation, but I think um, just observation-wise, especially living through a two pandemic, that there is something to be had for community that I think is apparent. We try to replace it with things like online experiences, good or bad, and yeah. It's it's a way of bastardizing community and having to live with people face to face and what that looks like, that feels like. So, um, again, and my my more normie spider senses go up because anything that 
kind of pushes people out of being forced to deal with their neighbors. Yeah. Um, sort of troubles me because I think the purpose is to kind of deal with your neighbors, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beauty that comes from that too. So. No, that, um, uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So I'll go back and looking forward to reading it then. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sharon. Colin, what's up? Call it on Colin. Colin on Colin. How you doing, Jesse? Good. Good. Uh, I'm one of those guys that equates um, simulation theory with religious thinking. Um, and I, I don't necessarily do it in a derogatory way because I don't, I don't really um, – I don't really look down on religious thinking because I think it's inherent in humanity and has been for millennia. Yeah. Um, but I think some of our tendencies towards religious thinking show up in show up in um, simulation theory when you really distill it down to some of some some of the elements um, in your piece. You were saying why you you would hope that we are in a simulation. Yeah. And a lot of it does have to do with there being a meaning to suffering and being able to meet, you know, your creator in a sense and having hope for, for more than what our life gives us. And a lot of that really ties in very closely with, with religions in really core ways. So I feel like, I feel like while it's an interesting thought practice, I feel like it is more an excuse and I'm not saying this as a criticism, but it's, it's an excuse for, um, for atheists to sort of think about things in a religious manner without sort of branding themselves as, uh, a Christian. <laughs> well, I think I'm, I think I need to be conscious of the fact that I'm attracted to these beliefs and want them to be true for very pragmatic reasons in the same mm -hmm. way. Um, I think religious belief is more complicated than it's just nice to think it's true. There's a lot more goes into that, but it is the fact of the matter is that um, certain religious beliefs, if they were true, would give order and meaning to the universe that it might lack otherwise. So I'm with you that that, I think that's, that's a fair way to describe this belief as at least having something in common with religion. Uh, yeah, I, I would fair. call it, I would call it almost like an atheist's religion or a rationalist's sort of religion. Well, we know, we know that we're working on, on uh, augmented reality or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Virtual reality. Yeah. And we know that electronics exist. So we know these things that are uh, physical. We can apply that and uh, sort of apply it in almost a religious way of thinking. So that, that's just kind of my two cents on it. Yeah, no, and I think you see that a lot of like political beliefs that carve the world into like good and evil, or claim that all of history is driven by like battles between raging um, wage battles waged between opposing political forces. It, it's all just the parts of our brain that are attracted to religion are attracted to certain kinds of thinking. I think that's uh, that's true. Right, and we repeat ourselves as humanity uh, a lot, um, so I think it's always kind of good good to look at um, sort of. Uh, patterns that we follow and and we're at a certain point in humanity where we are very technological but these patterns might be repeated in in ways of thinking about that yeah uh, from from former uh ways of understanding so that's all makes sense to me good call thank you all right thanks justin what's up jesse's pony jars hello can you hear me 
I can, yeah. You do some background yes. noise, but I think I can yes. hear you. Uh, let me out of the jar. It's sick in here. It's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, same That's guy right. who does all the weird names. Uh, but yeah, uh, regarding uh, some first things first, uh, the Ben Burgess. Uh, actually, want if you're on his podcast, you can say that he's the, uh, your interview with him was the reason I bought it. The Audible, Kindle, but Kindle version. So yeah. I say thank you for that. It, it's really, it was really good. Um, I thought he was a little softer on some of the comedians than he should have been. I, I like your your criticism of like Chappelle and Rogan, where they talk about where there was misinformation or some of the jokes were ignorant. Yeah. Uh, so either way, I just wanted to praise that. Now, uh, regarding the simulation thing. I'll start with the joke response and then my actual response. Hey, man, I feel bad. I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you just because there's so much background noise. You're able to get hold someplace let quieter. Me, let me, yeah, yeah, hold on. So I'm out of Dave and Busters. Yes. <laughs> Most of my I'm callers are calling from Dave and Busters. Yes. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Simulation. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. Uh, joke response. Uh, if we're, if reality is running on a simulation, does that mean that simulate that hardware can play Doom? That's nice this joke, I guess. <laughs> Uh, second, uh, our, for our, so the simulation thing is talking about that we're all like a bunch of ones and zeros. We're programs itself, not like a matrix ordeal. Like we're plugged into some software. Is I think most, most, yeah, most accounts are. There is not an unsimulated, unsimulated body like plugged in. We're just, we're our whole thing is simulated. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's theoretically, in the very abstract sense, plausible, but it's, it, it does kind of seem pseudo-religious to me. It's. Not that laughable uh, as other things, but it, I don't know. Uh, I was curious what caught your, att- your attraction to it and what you said that you want it to be real. What, yeah. what, what makes you say that? Well, I think I'm just driven by like fear of death and fear of nothingness. And I'd prefer a system where there's a chance that, uh, that, you know, we could potentially cycle through different bodies or whatever, or, or have other oh, experiences. Oh, like I, that. I, I, no, I got you. I got you. I got you. Uh, that's pretty much it i just wanted to also just make you make that joke and have you read the pony jar thing <laughs> i'm guessing you've already, you already know what the meme is from right i do yeah I do. yes uh well, all right i'll let you get going uh thank you for reading that and you have a great day thanks you too thanks for the call <laughs> chris what's up uh can you hear me yeah uh give me just a second i'm getting kicked out of a dave and busters right now <laughs> yeah No, um, but I just had a couple questions about your process and like the way you do your podcast. Sure. Um, so like what kind of setup do you have as far as like, do you have like a shotgun mic or what kind of mic do you use? Uh, God, see, I don't even know what a shotgun mic is, which tells you how professional it is. I don't either. I saw it on a box for a mic that was advertised for podcasting. So, uh, not a big expert here. No, I just have like a basic a mic you could hold, and I have it in a stand, and I put the mic in the stand. Uh, for for this, I use a headset because it just plugs right into the iPhone they sent me. Um, yeah. I have a, mic, a handheld, pretty inexpensive handheld mic on a stand that I put inside an Amazon box with acoustic foam glued inside, and that gets me like pretty good quality. I, I should get like a more professional setup, but I found this is totally adequate, and the the acoustic foam is very cheap online, and you put that in a box, and it just it cuts out a huge amount of the noise. Yeah, it seems to work really well. Nice. Um, my other question was uh, just along like how you conduct your interviews. Like, do you have any, um, I guess, source of like 
where you got a big influence on how you conduct your interviews. Um, no. Just like the way you question people. <laughs> I mean, stuff, I, I think it it's just, just from doing it and getting more confident over time. I honestly can't say that there's anyone I listen to who like has inspired my style in particular. Part of it is like as a journalist, you have a lot of you do a lot of interviews sometimes for an hour or two for no audience and you your goal is to get good quotes out of them and you have to sort of mirror what they're saying back to them in certain ways and know how to ask follow-up questions and know how to not fill a silence when they're like thinking about to say something important. I think all that stuff is translatable to sort of on mic for broadcast interviews and that, that probably helped me become better at it. Okay. Well, I guess that's as much as I had for questions. So thanks. Thank you. I was uh, temporarily sneezing, so I muted myself. No one wanted to hear that. <laughs> good Ananda, what's up? Ananda, can you hear me? Can you unmute yourself? All right. I'm going to uh, take the next call, and then you can get back in the queue. Yeah, there we go. Tick, what is up? Queue's empty if other people want to join in, by the way. Oh, there we go. Hey, hey, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? I can. How's it going? Good, good. Hey, first time caller from a Dave and Buster's, long time listener. <laughs> Glad to um, hear it. <laughs> I just had a follow up question on some Rogan stuff. I know you had some opinions on about how he could fact check uh, moving forward. Yeah. And wondering if you listened to or heard about the Steve Coonan or Andrew Dessler uh, podcast recently about kind of climate change uh no i'm um i'm so behind on everything but also rogan publishes like fucking 40 hours a week so it's hard to stay <laughs> up but what well uh yeah i, I mean I, I see i just googled it and i see it so um i have not i, seen I it. just i just thought it was interesting because there's all this you know fervor about him and misinformation during that period i don't know three weeks ago and then just last week, he had on a guy who basically said, you know, climate change is nothing to worry about. You know, here's all my facts. Nothing to see here. Yeah. And there was just nothing in the media about it. Real? That's interesting to me because that's such sort of a, um, you know, for understandable reasons, sort of a sacred belief among media types now that you have to be serious about climate change. Uh, yeah. And so there was there was just nothing about it. And then... You know, turns out four days later, five days later, he has on a climate scientist and professor from Texas A&M, and he kind of goes through all these one by one. And it, it was just, it seemed like exactly what the media was calling for three weeks ago. Yeah. And, and what and Rogan then, said he was going to do, right? Have both sides. I mean, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then nothing, no acknowledgement, no no, you know, fury before he had the follow-up guest on. Like, yeah, I, it's just, it just seems so. I, I don't know. People don't have attention spans; they just like sort of jump around from outrage to outrage. I found that too, where like people get really mad about something, and there's like some follow-up point you would think they would cover, or a reason for them to maybe return to the story they were mad about, but they've just like moved on to something else. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. I, I think the question of like. I would have to know how non-mainstream the first guest was to know how I feel about that. Because I think, you know, there's obviously situations where you wouldn't want to do the he said, he said things. I mean, the obvious extreme would be like, 
Well, I had on a guy who said the Holocaust didn't happen, and then next week someone. Um, I have no idea if this is anywhere close to that, but um, it at the very least, uh, I like the idea that Joe is going to try to show both sides when he has controversial speakers. I think that's a very. It sounds like you think that's a good first step, at least. I yeah, I absolutely do, and yeah, I would love to get uh, you know a bar pod take on it if you guys ever get around to it. Cool. Uh, thank you. Anything else, Teak? No, nothing. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Darren, what is up? <clears throat> Queue is empty again if anyone else wants to jump in. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Great. How's it going? Good. All right. I'm good also. So as someone who left New England, uh, left about eight years ago, just the weather was terrible. And now I live in Vegas, so I'm just in beautiful climate for most of the year. This, the summer is pretty bad, but... Have you thought of, seriously about just getting out of getting out of New York? You cut out for a minute. Hey, can you re- just repeat that last part? I think you might have a connection problem. Oh yeah, I'm just like wondering if you've ever just thought about getting out of places that have shitty weather. Yeah, I mean, not that seriously. I, I was just in California for two weeks, and just the quality of life difference when you have good weather is pretty astonishing i i do think i would miss the seasons i'd miss the leaves i'd miss a little bit of the snow but um i think as i get older part of me is like you know i'm lucky that i probably could live elsewhere if i wanted like why would i want to deal with this shit and part of the answer is just like feeling a connection to the northeast and having a lot of people here and there aren't a lot of new england's different there aren't a lot of places like new york where i could just like leave my apartment and walk five miles in any direction and see cool shit and like eat everything and I think New York spoils you in a way and you, you put up with a lot of um, stuff to live here. And do, doesn't like uh, – my stereotype of, of sort of newer cities like Vegas is they are – not that they don't have cool neighborhoods, but they are sort of sprawled out in every direction. You need to drive everywhere, right? Totally sprawled. Absolutely yeah. need a car. The roads are all super wide and dangerous and people are going 60 miles an hour, 45 zone. It's terrible. But yeah. the weather is great. Yeah, and, and cost of living probably much better. Um, I did, just from being in L.A. for a week, The it really did drive me crazy that I had to like factor in 45 minutes to get anywhere to see anyone, and I, I think that would really detract from the quality of life, and I'm, um, I'm willing to put up with some bad weather to avoid that. But I am, yes, I am tempted to get to another part of the country, but I don't think I'm quite there yet. Mm, take the plunge. I recommend yeah, it. Never maybe at some point. Even though nice. all my family and friends are in... Or in Massachusetts. You, no, you couldn't know. get your Massachusetts friends to all move to Vegas with you? Nobody's doing it. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad it's working out for you. Thanks. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to skip you just to let a couple of people go who haven't gone yet, and then we'll see if I can um, get back to you. Uh, e, what is up? Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, so I'm going to kind of veer back into uh, the simulation thing. That's what uh, the simulation would want us to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is there's no such thing as free will. So. Exactly. Um, anyways, so okay, my question. Just first, I just want to kind of clarify a thing. So you think it's preferable? Like, okay, I'm I'm kind of persuaded by the idea that like we don't know what death is, so we shouldn't even really. I mean, fear it. But even more than that, there's nothing really to kind of get into there, just because there's no there's no there's nothing we could, there's no evidence of anything. Yeah. But it would be nice with the simulation thing because 
there are at least questions we can ask about that that have good answers, possibly in some world. Whereas right now we're dealing with a concept of death that like the only answer that's been given is God, which is a shitty one, which we yeah. both agree. Like, is that basically where you're coming from? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned in the newsletter, I, I actually, the only sort of belief, non-zero belief I have in the supernatural is I, there actually are, I sound weird when I say this, there's a small handful of like crazy reincarnation cases that I think have been like, you know, vetted by skeptical people to the point where even Carl Sagan, who's like a super skeptic, thought some of them, I think there's like 10, 20% chance some kind of reincarnation is true, although that would be crazy because how could it be but other than that yeah i think when we die it's just like nothingness and i don't i don't fear being dead because i think it's like how there's nothing there's you don't feel anything but uh i would like to continue to exist in some form if possible and i i wouldn't i'd like the idea that like loved ones could continue to exist and i think all that is much more realistic uh if we're in a simulation than if we're in top level reality yeah okay so i think you kind of got close to what my question was and if you've answered it like totally let me know but i guess for me it's like i agree most likely i guess you know death is nothing but given given the evidence i have like i really just don't have enough to say an answer about you know either way of anything and yet the idea of any afterlife or god is so specific and ridiculous that it could is just as likely as anything else but there are these super weird, like, yeah, like there are, I mean, there are published studies, but also I agree, like there's really interesting books out there about like, you know, skeptics who have looked at this stuff of like near death experiences that are like kind of unexplainable when you look at like brain activity at the time that they're happening or like the fact that people in totally different cultures, languages, ages, political or um, spiritual ideologies have similar experiences and and so i'm just wondering if that gives any more weight than the the questions that might have good answers that the simulation theory gives um i don't i haven't looked as much into the near-death experience stuff i'm not i'm not as moved by it because and i i did read um a sam harris book where he he claims to have debunked some of it or uh, i i it was a year ago but I think some of the near death experience stuff is just explainable through like physical processes. Um, you can message me if you, and if you have like further citations for that or like particularly compelling stuff, but, um, no, for the most part, like the, a small handful of reincarnation bit, but, uh, cases in a book called old souls by a Washington post journalist. That's like the only stuff I've seen that really, I find at all compelling suggesting there's more to life than just being dead forever. Um, which again, that's why I'd like the simulation yeah. to be true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess I guess my question was more just like if if it's that those questions about simulation theory that the fact that they ha- they have good answers that that's really what's pulling you that direction. What do you mean, good answers? Uh, like that there there are answers that are appealing to you about you know. Oh like, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I'm trying I'm trying to factor that in because I think no, that's totally fair. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Okay. I'll just leave this question out there, then I can hang up. But I'm also curious about your opinion on um, just the stuff that's going on in Canada with the truckers and and um, just kind of the the emergency act that was imposed and all that. The stuff. emergency act stuff seems like egregious and inexcusable. Um, I've, Katie uh, Katie Herzog, my podcast co-host, has really done way more of the research on this. I've been deferring to her. My my sense is it's the kind of thing where there's 
some legitimate grievances like any other big protest. It has attracted some crazy and far-right people. I don't get the sense the average Canadian involved is a crazy far-right extremist. I also get the sense that uh, vaccine policy is extremely popular in Canada, the current policy, and the truckers are unpopular. So I don't think they're like a mass movement. I just think there's a lot going on, and I think a lot of the coverage is trying to turn this into a simple story when it's not. That's my short version. Sounds good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Aaron, welcome back. Aaron, what's up? Can you uh, unmute yourself? If not, I'll skip to Ananda. All right. Ananda, you're up. Oh, can you hear me this time? I can. How's it going? Hey, thanks for taking the call. Um, I uh, uh, I wanted to say the, the previous callers have had a lot of really interesting things to say. I uh, I like Shauna's comment about dealing with your neighbors uh, and how the simulations defeat that. It, it reminds me of why it's been so much so good to go back to the office. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, Colin's, Colin's point about uh, the simulation being um, – kind of a religious belief reminds me of one of the culture novels by Ian Banks called Surface Detail. I've been which... told one of the commenters on my uh, on my post said that I should read that if I'm interested in this stuff. Yeah, so the TLDR, uh, no, I mean, no spoilers here, no spoilers, but the, the, yeah. the, the TLDR is um, there's a hyper-advanced and hyper-religious civilization which decides to create a simulated hell. Um, oh, God which when people are very sinful, they upload their consciousness into the simulated hell just in case, you know, just to make sure, like maybe that's God's will is that, you know, since we're now capable of creating a hell for people, right. we should go ahead and, and yeah, anyway, uh, it's a, it's, it's a remarkable, <laughs> it, it, it's, I, I should read the culture series. It's sort of crazy. I haven't. And, um, the person, yeah, the person who left that comment was like, this will maybe change your mind that simulations are good or will alleviate suffering. Certainly, this was a context I hadn't thought of where yeah. uh, a use of a simulation, which was uh, utterly horrifying. Um, uh, There's and, another uh, good one in the Hyperion Cantos by um, Simmons. And, yeah, yeah. They, they It's not quite a simulation, but they basically have a concept where uh, certain people get – the whole thing's very Catholic, but like pe- people get transferred to this tree of pain where they're just basically tortured forever without dying. So not fun. Yeah, the, um, there's a there's a, a series which I actually I heard got may, may have been optioned for a, a mini series on one of the you know one of the premium channels uh, where uh, it's a murder mystery set in hell. Um, but which yeah, so yes, right? Like, what's the point? And it's uh, that, that was what got me reading, and it, and it's very interesting. But the um, uh, the the one of the conceits there is that people who arrive in hell have their memories wiped, so they don't uh, remember what, they don't remember why they're there, but they they know that the fact that they're there means they must deserve it. Gotcha, uh, but they don't know why. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, uh, and then um, but I remember in your newsletter you you said you were looking for uh, topics other than the culture war to write about, and I thought, and then you wrote the simulation piece, and I thought. Uh, that's great, right? Because that is a perfect example of a non-culture war topic that's engaging, and that you have something I think unique to bring uh, to, to, to readers like Thanks. myself. Um, I, uh, I, it's, and then it was funny you mentioned reincarnation, or E, uh, I guess, uh, mentioned reincarnation, and that reminded me of another philosopher, or, or of a philosopher who uh, you would have a lot of disagreements with, but who, uh, who has, who, who writes very lucidly and clearly. Right in a way that you don't really find in the journals or on philosophy 
Twitter. <laughs> to put it mildly. And uh, his name is Mike Humer, uh, H-U-E-M-E-R. He teaches at Colorado Boulder. Um, and he has a, he has a, a he, he published an article, uh, which is a completely secular argument for reincarnation. Oh. Um, the, you, you should, it's, you can easily find it if you look up, look him up on the internet, but his, uh, the TLDR is if time is two way infinite, uh, given that if, if you take as givens, the time is two way infinite and that you exist, it is very unlikely that this is the first time you're existing. Huh. That's really, I, I see existence is evidence of immortality. Correct. That's, that's it. Very, <laughs> that's very. I was just talking to someone else about uh, trollish philosophers. So I'm looking forward to reading this. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty on point to what you were talking about with uh, with E in the previous call. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, keep it up, keep it up, and I look I look forward to I, I enjoy your culture war stuff, but I I well I mean in, you know in, enjoy in a, in a sort quotes. of yeah yeah and I, I certainly don't, I certainly can't seem to stop reading it. So <laughs> Thanks, uh, but, it does um, well, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I, I was. I think uh, philosophy is a, is a good uh, is, is a good pressure valve for you. Thanks, I appreciate I'll, it. I'll hang. I'll hang up now. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I was a uh, I was a philosophy major, albeit not a good one. So uh, I am drawn to some of that stuff. Uh, these were some very good calls, particularly the ones like uh, challenging me on this or that. Like I said, we're going to go in a slightly guestier direction, hopefully in the coming weeks. So yeah, Monday night, six thirty. Don't quote me on that. I'm going to double check now and um, actually post the episode to the calendar. Keith Humphreys, opioids. Um, yeah, <laughs> very light, fun subject. So we'll be doing that. Uh, as always, I would ask you if you enjoy what I'm doing, spread the word about it. The more people listen and follow me, the better. Uh, I think that's it. I hope the rest of you all – the rest of you – I really can't talk. I'm going to go get some coffee right now. But I hope you all have um, a good weekend and that I will see you back here shortly. Farewell. <laughs>